0: It's
1: not going to be time, i just curious some okay, right please. But speak with Shane, please. you got Yeah. Welcome to Trump's America.
0: Well, I don't know why I came here tonight I got the
1: feeling that something right No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs to the left of me, jokers to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck
0: in the middle
1: with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, Columbus, Ohio's WGRN and Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, Seattle's KODX. In Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day for your listening pleasure. On the internets, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation. NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, amongst other fine affiliates, both terrestrial and streaming. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. Well, first they came for the Muslims. And then they came for the migrant workers and they did it on the very first day of school in Mississippi as this horrible, horrible news was breaking on Wednesday night. The Jackson Free Press in Mississippi and other uh, crucial local news outlets on the ground there did their best to keep up with the horror and heartbreak that was being inflicted on all of us by our own government on purpose. With crushing cruelty and for nothing more than political reasons to benefit the party currently in power in the White House. According to the Free Press last night, children finished their first day of school with no parents to go home to tonight. Babies and toddlers remained at daycare with no guardian to pick them up. One child vainly searched a workplace parking lot for missing parents. Those are some of the many stories immigrants' rights advocates told the Jackson Free Press on Wednesday after calls with school officials, co-workers, and distressed family members of immigrants whom ICE had rounded up in Mississippi, in Forest, Mississippi. According to WJTV, where one of the ICE raids happened nearby, children of those who were arrested were left alone in the streets crying for help. Strangers and neighbors were Taking them to a local gym to be put up for the night on Wednesday morning, the Homeland Security Investigations Unit of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, also known as ICE, coordinated with the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Mississippi, a man by the name of Mike Hurst to carry out what they called the, quote, largest single state worksite enforcement action in the nation's history. At a 2 p.m. press conference, Hearst said they were rounding up undocumented immigrants who are working in the U.S. or who might have committed some other crime. He was not specific about the charges. The AP reported family members, including children, crying as Immigration and Customs Enforcement agents loaded immigrants onto buses outside a plant where they worked in Morton, Mississippi. ICE carried out raids in five other Mississippi cities at the same time, rounding up some 680 immigrant workers. Workers. And loaded them onto buses advocates at the Mississippi Immigrants Rights Alliance or MIRA, spent Wednesday afternoon scrambling to answer calls from distressed family members and to find out exactly what was happening. MIRA president Bill Chandler said we're now trying to deal with schools because of the children that may be left behind by ICE. ICE agents attempted to arrest at least one U.S. citizen at the same time at that plant in Canton, according to Chandler. There was a young man who was working there that protested the arrest because he was an American citizen. And they tased him, knocked him to the ground and put handcuffs on him before they finally figured out that he was an American citizen. Well, you know, better late than never, I suppose. Enjoy the tasing. As Myra understands it, Chandler said ICE will, quote, sort the detainees out at a facility in Louisiana later. Some who have prior violations or have committed felonies will be locked up in facilities to await deportation trials. Others will be returned to their homes at some point with ankle bracelets tantamount to house arrest, says Chandler. He added that he doubts agents will find many, if any, Felons at all among those who were arrested on Wednesday, 680 of them. Cliff Johnson, the director of MacArthur Justice Center at the University of Mississippi School of Law, told the Jackson Free Press that the raids were, quote, mean-spirited political grandstanding. Sounds like the Trump 2020 campaign slogan. Carried out in service to the Trump administration, even as... U.S. Attorney Hearst insisted that today uh, insisted that the operation on Wednesday was not about Trump. Nonetheless, Johnson said Mississippians do not want this. We have a situation where nobody in Mississippi who I know is crying out for hundreds of out of state agents to invade Mississippi and haul off our hardworking neighbors and friends in zip ties and buses, he said. He explained, we live in small communities. We know these folks. They coach baseball and Little League and soccer, and they work in local businesses at Johnson. We live side by side with them. We work with them. They are our friends. These are our neighbors, the same people that feel that affinity on them might be yelling, build the wall. But they're not yelling for anybody to come lock up my neighbor. Of course, these uh, raids happened just days after that uh, shooting in uh, El Paso by a white American man who opened fire, killing uh, 22 people just after posting online about an alleged Hispanic invasion. Johnson said that he does not think those who carried out the ICE raid even stopped to consider the ramifications of executing such a raid less than a week after the El Paso massacre, which left 22 people dead, many of them immigrants, some of them actually Mexicans who were uh, shopping there. Johnson is concerned about the children who may not have anyone to go home to. He says, I've been hearing stories about children who went to their first day of school today and whose parents were hauled off and how the government did not make any accommodations for those situations. He said federal officials are telling schools to bring children back to school if they arrive home and their parents are not there. If the government determines that the parents of these kids are undocumented, it is very possible that these children will either be detained themselves Even though they're U.S. citizens or taken into the custody of the state, he said. Johnson does not think it is an accident that the raids came the day after Mississippi's hotly contested party primary elections in statewide and legislative races on Tuesday. He said, I don't think that's an accident, adding that he worked for the U.S. Department of Justice for six years as an assistant attorney himself. He said people can speculate as to which candidates that would favor and which candidates might have been more impacted by a move like this had it happened prior to the election. He said, I know firsthand that there's nothing accidental about anything that happened today. After the Wednesday raids, The uh, mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, Mayor Chakwa A. Lumumba, released a statement saying the city of Jackson is firmly committed to promoting and securing safe communities. We unflinchingly uphold the canon of human rights for human beings, he said. The ICE raids are both dehumanizing. And ineffective as a tactic for protecting citizens from potential harm. These raids will only further alienate communities from law enforcement, disrupt community policing efforts, and cause law enforcement to forfeit credibility and trust among the people that they are sworn to protect and serve. And yes, they are sworn to protect and serve everyone, no matter their immigration status. He said, I'm calling upon faith institutions in our community to become sanctuaries for our immigrant neighbors and protect them from potential harm. The city of Jackson strongly objects to the Trump administration's ICE raids. Despite those raids, Mississippi has one of the smallest populations of undocumented immigrants in the country, totaling about 20,000, according to Pew Research in 2016. So, yeah, let's start there. Let's start there with the smallest population of immigrants, and we will just work up state after state, one after another, 50 and all, causing as much hell and terror as we possibly can. That is what this uh, Trump administration is doing today. As I say, I expect there is more to come. And, of course, all of it does uh, a very nice job of distracting from those shootings over the weekend and Donald Trump making a jackass out of himself during his visits to Dayton, Ohio and, uh, and El Paso, Texas, on, uh, on Wednesday, supposedly to uh, bring comfort to those uh, two grieving towns where 31 were gunned down over the weekend. And yet he was uh, reaching out to attack Democrats just hours after calling for unity in the face of those shootings. He was out there attacking Democrats from the mayor of Dayton to the uh, senator from Ohio, Sherrod Brown, to Beto O'Rourke, to uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, to Joe Biden. That was his idea of unity, as we discussed on yesterday's show. In the meantime... White House officials rebuffed efforts by their colleagues, yes, including their own appointees at the Department of Homeland Security for more than a year to make combating domestic terror threats such as those from white supremacists like that one who was uh, drove some 600 miles from Dallas to uh, gun down 22 people at the Walmart in El Paso. The administration has been rebuffing efforts to focus on domestic terror threats, according to an exclusive from CNN. They were hoping to uh, those members of the DHS were hoping to uh, to make it a, a greater priority, as had been specifically spelled out in the National Counterterrorism Strategy. That's according to current and former senior administration officials, as well as other sources close to the uh, Trump administration who spoke with CNN. One senior source close to the Trump administration told CNN Homeland Security officials battled the White House for more than a year to get them to focus on domestic terrorism. The White House, however, wanted to focus only on the jihadist threat, which, while serious, ignored the reality that racial supremacist violence was rising fast here at home. They had major ideological blinders on, said the source. The National Counterterrorism Strategy, which was issued last fall, States that, quote, radical Islamist terrorists remain the primary transnational terrorist threat to the United States and its vital national interests, which few experts dispute. However, what seems uh, glaring to these officials who spoke to CNN is the minimizing of the threat of domestic terrorism, which they say was on their radar as a growing problem. A senior source involved in the discussion told CNN ultimately the White House just added one single paragraph about domestic terrorism as a throwaway line to the national counterterrorism strategy. That paragraph mentions, quote, other forms of violent extremism, such as racially motivated extremism, animal rights extremism, environmental Extremism. Yes, Desi Doyen, they're talking about you, those eco terrorists,
0: those science based people that uh, insist on yeah. following what the science says. So
1: those people, we have to be concerned about violent extremism from animal rights activists and ex- uh, environmentalists. Also, they, they cited sovereign citizen extremism and militia extremism, but they made no mention of white supremacists. The document mentions that domestic terrorism is on the rise, but the subject is only briefly addressed. All the more stark, given that FBI Director Christopher Wray in July said that there have been now almost as many domestic terror arrests in the first three quarters of the fiscal year, about 100, as there have been arrests, arrests connected to international terror. Now, CNN does not include this in their report, but I will point out that there are far Far more statutes that allow for the arrest of suspects for international terror than there are for domestic terror, as we've been noting over the past couple of days on this program. So if there are almost as many domestic terror arrests over the past three uh, fiscal quarters, as there has been uh, connected to international terrorists, that tells you right that, right there that there is a lot more domestic terrorist issues now brewing. If we had the same kind of laws for domestic terrorism as we do for uh, international terrorism in this country, I suspect those numbers of arrests for domestic terror would be far higher. And moreover, as Ray noted in his testimony, again, Donald Trump's own FBI chief, said the majority of the domestic terrorism cases were motivated by some version of white supremacist violence. No, it wasn't PETA. It wasn't environmental eco-terrorists. It was white supremacist violence. A current senior Trump administration official told CNN that DHS is surging resources right now to the domestic terrorism issue, but they're behind the curve because of a lack of support from the White House. People are getting killed, and this president is turning a blind eye to America's national security threats, says California Senator Kamala Harris on Twitter. Former Congressman Beto O'Rourke A native son of El Paso and another presidential candidate tweeted, despite the evidence, despite the threat that our country uh, to our country, that domestic terrorism poses, this president did nothing. He made us less safe. In March of this year, right after the slaughter of 51 Muslims in New Zealand by a white supremacist, CNN notes, Trump said he did not think that white nationalists was a rising threat around the world. He said, quote, I think it's a small group of people that have very, very serious problems. Now, it may or may not be a small group, but they do have very, very serious problems, especially with violence They are very, very violent and dangerous, no matter how large or small that they are, particularly given our free access in this country to weapons of mass destruction that you can, yes, go to a Walmart and buy. In El Paso, this uh, small group of people, well, that small group of people did not need to be any larger than one single white nationalist who was able to kill 22 people in a matter of minutes. Why the White House has uh, pushed back on all of this, uh, CNN reports, is a matter of some debate. The former CNN administration official they spoke to noted that the White House, specifically the president, has a problem criticizing white supremacy. Huh. I wonder why. The former administration official noted uh, Monday's remarks following the El Paso and Dayton shootings when Trump mentioned white supremacy just one time that those were read from a teleprompter. He said he or she said, you don't hear the president mention white supremacists when he speaks extemporaneously. That is true. The uh, senior source close to the Trump administration acknowledged the president's reluctance to criticize white supremacists, that it was part of an overlay of all of these discussions that have been going on between the White House and the Department of Homeland Security, etc. The source said, you know, it will trigger the boss instinctively. You know he's going to be averse to mentioning that. So they don't even want to bring it up in front of him. The sources tell CNN that one paragraph about domestic terrorism in the latest national counterterrorism strategy was the best that the Department of Homeland Security officials were able to get one paragraph when it became clear. The White House was going to say little, if anything, on domestic terrorism. We asked that they at least say in the counterterrorism strategy that there would be a subsequent domestic terrorism strategy. But the White House would not agree to that either. During the lengthy back and forth, the senior source tells CNN one White House official proposed that the national counterterrorism strategy focus on radical Islamists and foreign drug dealers. This is what this is what the White House wanted to do. Radical Islamists and foreign drug dealers since they thought that would please the president. But the source said those things don't go together. That was part of the warped worldview that they had there. Now, of course, none of this should be a surprise. That warped world view that now lives in the White House goes back more than a decade. As you'll recall, when the Obama administration's DHS, and we've talked about this many times over the years, the Obama administration's DHS, not long after they took office in 2009, they released a draft report on the domestic terror threat from right-wing extremists. But Fox News, and therefore the Republican Party, went bonkers about that. They were furious about the Obama administration even saying such a thing, that there are what right-wing extremists. Never mind that the report was actually mostly drafted during the George W. Bush administration before it was finally released in draft version at the beginning of the Obama term. Never mind that a similar report On the domestic terror threat of left wing extremists had already been released and nobody complained about that one to the Obama administration's eternal shame. Then they uh, they pulled back that right wing extremist report. Remember that they said, uh, "Okay, we we retract it. It doesn't exist. Sorry. The head of Homeland Security. Janet Napolitano actually apologized for that report, incredibly enough, and the office that had put it together, whose focus had been on the threats posed by domestic terrorism, that was pretty much shut down at DHS after that. Everyone was reassigned elsewhere. So, yeah, there's plenty of blame to go around. But the Trump and Republican brain had already been trained for many years long ago to reject the idea that domestic terrorism was any sort of real threat, at least not by right wingers. And of course, since Donald Trump is a white supremacist himself willing to unleash the full force and fury and funding of the federal government to crack down and deport non-whites who might be working here in this country and paying taxes and coaching Little League and soccer. No matter what that, that effect may have on their U.S. citizen children, who are also not white in his eyes, so I guess he doesn't care, well, he's more than happy to exercise that power, white supremacy, with the full federal force and funding of the federal government. And if you crack down on the people who want to end the so-called invasion of this country as Trump sees it and as the white American male domestic terrorist mass murderer sees it, the one in El Paso. And if you add incident after incident since the rise of uh, Trump, well, that would mean that the call concerning domestic right-wing terrorism is coming from inside the House. And we can't admit to that, right? Right. Right. And that's why there will be more brutal, violent roundups of brown, undocumented immigrants, no matter how long they have lived in this country, even if they came here as children, even if they now have children themselves who are American citizens that will be left parentless when their parents are deported. At the same time that the uh, incidents of private white American citizen terrorists brutalizing and murdering anyone they see as an invader, those will also continue because that is the message that is coming from this president and this White House and this administration. And if you don't think that those uh, people around the country are hearing that message coming from Donald Trump, You need look no farther than the 39-year-old man in Montana who has now been charged with assaulting a 13-year-old child who did not take his hat off for the National Anthem at a rodeo at the Superior Fairgrounds last weekend. The man put the boy into a chokehold, threw him to the ground, cracking his skull. He was bleeding from the ears. The injury was so bad that he had to be airlifted to another state, to Washington state, for emergency treatment. So uh, what does all of that have to do with uh, with with Trump and dangerous denial of his Republican Party? Well, according to the the Missoula newspaper in Montana, the attorney for that 39 year old man says his client, a U.S. Army veteran, who, by the way, himself has supposedly been compromised by a traumatic brain injury, according to the attorney, uh, believes that he was acting on an order from President Donald Trump. His defense attorney, Lance Jasper, told the Missoulin on Wednesday that the president's, quote, rhetoric contributed to the U.S. Army veterans disposition when he slammed a 13 year old fracturing his skull. Jasper said his commander in chief is telling people if they kneel, they should be fired. If they burn a flag, they should be punished. He says he certainly didn't understand it was a crime. A request to the White House for comment was not returned to the Missoulin. So this man, Kurt Brockway, allegedly uh, told the teen to remove the hat while the national anthem was playing, to which the boy responded, F you, sparking Brockway's attack. Brockway was allegedly uh, severely injured in a car accident while on active military duty back in 2000 and has impaired judgment as a result. His attorney said Brockway's military background has been central to his identity since suffering that injury to his frontal lobe, which controls cognitive functions like judgment and problem solving. So couple that injury, Jasper argues, with the president's calls to weed out those who have protested the national anthem or criticized the nation. And Brockway is no longer thinking for himself, but responding to a presidential order. That's the attorney's argument anyway. Obviously, he, Brockway, the attorney says, owes a big portion of accountability For what took place, but it's certain that there was other things at work here that definitely contributed, he said. Trump never necessarily says go hurt somebody, but the message is absolutely clear. I am certain of the fact that Brockway was doing what he believed he was told to do, essentially by the president. Now, I. I, you know, I don't know if that's true or not or if it's just a very good attorney making a a compelling argument, but it is not much of a leap. Uh, Brockway's injury, uh, says uh, his attorney, played a role in a 2010 incident in which he was charged with a felony after pulling a gun on a family member when he was coming back from cutting firewood. That's right. Despite a debilitating brain injury, the guy was allowed to have a gun because, you know, America. In his defense, uh, Jasper was his attorney in that case back in 2010 as well and uh, cited his brain injury. uh, And that was taken into consideration by the judge during his sentencing. He was given uh, 10 years probation. He was let go after just uh, seven years of good behavior uh, for the child, by the way. Uh, A a GoFundMe account has been uh, created. Uh, It's called A Victim of Forced Patriotism Needs Our Help on GoFundMe. That's been set up to assist the boy's family with with his medical expenses. But whether you buy the attorney's argument here or not, a couple of things to keep in mind. Montana where this happened is also the state where it's now sitting U.S. congressman. The state only has one, one at-large congressman for the whole state, a guy by the name of Greg Gianforte. Yes, a Republican. He was elected in a special election in 2017 in Montana to take the seat of the Well, now disgraced, corrupt and now former Interior Secretary uh, Ryan Zinke, who had been the congressman previously. But the night before that special election in May of 2017, you may recall backstage at a campaign event in Montana, Gianforte grabbed a reporter From the UK's Guardian by the throat, according to witnesses from Fox News who were in the room as well, put him into a a chokehold and body slammed him to the ground, just like this kid in Montana. As you'll recall from the audio of the incident that the reporter luckily had rolling at the time that he was asking Gianforte on the night before his election for the U.S. House, asking his position on health care.
0: Into the CBO score, because you know you were waiting to make your decision about healthcare until you saw the bill and it just came out. And, what yeah, you and we'll talk it?
1: to you about that later.
0: Yeah, but there's not going to be time. I just curious if okay, you have Speak act right with now. Shane, please. But you don't.
1: I'm sick and tired of you guys. The last Jesus guy that came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Jesus. Get the hell out of here. The last guy did the same thing. You were the guardian. Yes, and you just broke my process. The last guy did the same damn thing.
0: You just body slammed me and broke my glasses.
1: Get the hell out of here. To the shame of Montana, Gianforte, the guy who just you heard body slamming that reporter, was elected the next day anyway. To the even more eternal shame of Montana, Gianforte was then re elected for a full term in 2018, even after the state of Montana had heard about it. I guess you could argue that, you know, well, they had maybe they didn't hear about the incident the night before election day, or maybe there were a lot of absentee vote by mail ballots sent in before that incident. But it didn't matter. In 2018, this Republican, Greg Gianforte, was reelected anyway, and he was reelected after Donald Trump came to Montana to campaign for the guy, the guy who had physically assaulted a journalist. And at that campaign rally, Donald Trump actually joked about that incident, joked about the incident at a campaign event. He actually lauded him for that. Any guy that can do a body slam, he's my guy. He's my guy. Yeah, he's my guy. Anyone who can pick someone up by their throat, throw them to the ground, break their glasses, crack their skull, he's my type of guy. That was in Montana, the state's only U.S. congressman being lauded by the president of the United States for body slamming someone. So, yeah, actually, I think Brockway's attorney may have a pretty good argument to make here that he believed he was doing the president's bidding. And by the way, one other thing. Remember that report on right wing extremism that the Obama administration shamefully pulled after complaints from Fox News and Republicans? Well, it warned of veterans who were suffering from injuries and PTSD as one of the groups who were likely to pose danger as right-wing domestic terrorists. That did not sit well with Republicans either. Our veterans? What? They are domestic terror threats? Why does Barack Obama hate our veterans? So yeah, that did not sit well with them. And the Obama administration pulled the report. Well, none of this, none of this should sit well with anybody. Anybody. But that's where we are. Going to have to change the name of this show to That's Where We Are with Brad and Desi. Let's take a quick break here, and we will talk about some much better news regarding what Americans may be ready to do about all of this. In the next year's crucial elections. Yes, even in some of the reddest areas of the country. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. If I ever get out of here, if we ever get out of here, yeah. That's welcome back the bradcast brad friedman from bradblog.com uh, i promised good news better news at least i think we've got some better news here uh, for sure when it comes to elections and when it comes to what this country i believe will step up and do next year to get us out of this dark era I mean, frankly, if we had a, a a fair election system, there would be no question about any of this. Republicans would be trounced. Donald Trump would be history. Our long national nightmare would be over. But such that we don't have a fair election system that we the public can oversee, we've got to fight like hell for every vote in every nook and cranny, cranny in this country at this point. But there are... A number of good signs. I don't want you to get overexcited, but I think we could use some good news this week. So, uh, Desi Dohan, you may recall this. Years ago, I uh, I was invited to give a talk to a group of Democrats in Orange County, California. I think it was the Orange County Democratic Club or some such. Yes. And the idea of there being, frankly, any Democrats at all in Orange County, much less a whole club of them, was such a joke at the time because it's such a Republican area and it has been for years that I recall on the way down there I was speaking for some reason I don't remember the specifics but I was speaking on the phone uh, on the way down there to give this talk in Orange County to the uh, California Secretary of State at the time the Democrat Deborah Bowen and uh, when I got there to address the Democrats of Orange County I had told a joke that I had just spoken with the Secretary of State and told her that I was going to speak to the Orange County Democratic Club and she said to tell him hello <laughs> and it's I do you know, remember you remember that. That? it was yes. a pretty good joke and frankly, I don't know if I was making it up entirely or if Deborah Bowen actually said that. but anyway, it gives you an idea that's how few Democrats that there used to be in the OC, as we call it. Well, boy howdy has that changed now? California's Orange County, a longtime Republican stronghold has now flipped to become majority Democrat. Uh, the Orange County Register reported on Wednesday that the number of Democrats in the county has now surpassed that of Republicans for the first time since 1978. Wow. This is kind of amazing. I mean, this is Reagan country we're talking about. This is uh, the birthplace of Richard Nixon. It's where his presidential library still stands today down in Orange County, California. According to the uh, OC Register, there are now 547,458 registered Democrats versus 547,369 registered Republicans. So... Uh, it's still close just about 90 more registered Democrats. But the idea that Democrats are even close, much less now in the lead as far as registrations go in uh, in Orange County, California, for those people who don't know it, it's that's kind of am- that's incredibly amazing. Frankly, the chair of the Orange County Young Democrats told uh, the L.A. Times that President Donald Trump had turned off many people in the area Katerina Ionides said uh, Trump's toxic rhetoric and exclusionary policies alienate women, millennials, suburban voters, immigrants, and people of color—critical components of the electorate in Orange County. She said. Now the state's GOP chairman, Sean Steele, uh, said that the shift was the result of quote a tremendous outflow of people leaving California." <laughs>
0: Oh, bless his heart. He really is reaching it. He?
1: he said, We have been an out migration state for 20 years, and that's particularly acute in the suburbs. He told the Times. He added, There is an opportunity as Democrats get more aggressive in Sacramento and alienate more people. <laughs> so, Yeah, that's a whole.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, all those Republicans, they're leaving California because they can't stand this booming economy. It's terrible.
1: Well, uh, there's a whole lot of wishful thinking involved here. The idea that Democrats are, well, A, getting more aggressive in Sacramento, the state capital, uh, so that they're alienating more people. Well, I've seen no sign of that. Yeah, solving the uh, budget crisis was such a
0: terrible concept. Right. You know, those Democrats.
1: Yes, we now have a surplus. We know all of that. Anyway, so I've seen no sign of that here in California, but you know Steele is full of it by that first part about the tremendous outflow of people leaving California, that that's why there are fewer Republicans. Well, you would think that that would mean there were fewer Democrats, too, if this was been a out-migration state, as he calls it, for so many years. But uh, in any event, he's just wrong. At least if facts matter. He's he's Republican, however, so eh, probably not. Uh, According to the U.S. Census Bureau and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the resident population of California has been steadily increasing over the past few decades and has increased to thirty nine point five six million people in twenty eighteen. This makes it the most populous state in the U.S., they note. That increase, though, to 39.56 million is an increase from 39.21 million in 2016, just two years earlier. So um, also from 36.58 million back in 2008, the year Barack Obama was first elected. So the population has been going up, not down. It's not an out-migration state.
0: It just isn't.
1: For 20 years, uh, going back to uh, 20 years, the population of California 20 years ago was 33 million. So that out-migration over the past 20 years has somehow increased the population by six and a half million over those same 20 years. That's quite the out-migration.
0: Well, that's Republican math.
1: Apparently apparently so. Uh, Now, to uh, this state Republican Party chair, Sean Steele's credit, maybe they're just leaving Orange County. Maybe that's what he was talking about for some reason. Well, whoops, the U.S. Census Bureau also finds... That information to be wrong as well. They estimate a 5.8% increase in uh, population in Orange County, California, over the past 10 years, from uh, just over 3 million to 3.2 million in 2018. So it seems that Republicans, even here in California, are not that good with facts and stuff. And maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe that's more of the problem than this imaginary outflow of uh, of of people from California. But, yeah, other than that, maybe they're leaving. And that's why the uh, Republican Party registration is failing, falling in Orange County, while the Democratic Party registration is growing in Orange County to now officially become a majority party there. It's kind of amazing. It was almost unthinkable just a few years ago. Now, the first sign of danger to Californian uh, California Republicans may have been last November in the 2018 midterms, during which all four GOP-held House districts that are all or partially in the O.C. flipped to Democrats. That should have been a sign. But Orange County is not the only Republican stronghold that is seeing a whole lot of turbulence right now and may be moving from red to blue, even uh, as uh, the Trump era continues here. I should say in response to the Trump era, in fact, the county's uh, party shift, the Orange County uh, shift comes amid an exodus of Texas Republicans who have been announcing plans to leave Congress or a texodus, as many people are now referring to it, or maybe just rats from a sinking ship. I don't know. Take your pick. But a fourth Texas Republican lawmaker just uh, this week has announced that he will not seek another term in 2020. Congressman Kenny Marchant, Republican of Texas, is an eight term Republican. Uh, he is the fourth Texas GOP to bow out of uh, 2020 in just this last week, four of them in the last week and the ninth House Republican in the past three weeks to throw in the towel, according to The New York Times. In all, there are now 11 House Republicans who plan to retire or seek another office In 2020, just three House Democrats at the same time have announced they won't run again. The Democrats currently hold a 37-seat advantage uh, majority in the House with two vacancies right now at the moment. Republicans are seeing more retirements so far this cycle than they did at this point in the last cycle, a midterm where the out-of-power party almost always can expect to lose seats. So if they are now losing more people before a presidential election than they were before the election, the midterm election, where they can be expected to lose seats. Well, what does that tell you about what the GOP is thinking for their chances next year at this point? Congressman Marchant was first elected in 2004. He won his suburban Dallas district comfortably. Year after, election after election for over a decade, but last year he prevailed by just three points against the Democratic opponent who had very few uh, financial resources. During the 2018 midterms, Marchant reclaimed his seat with just 50.6% of the vote. That after being elected uh, originally by something like 20 or 30 points. So he's been steadily decreasing in this uh, suburb of Dallas. After a generation of dominance in Texas, Republicans are now facing the same challenges as their counterparts in other parts of the country. Let's say Orange County, California. By linking themselves to President Trump and his incendiary brand of national politics, the Times says they are alienating the very sort of suburban voters who were once among the Republican Party's most dependable supporters. This is especially worrying for Republicans in Texas, where demographics have been working against them for years as the state threatens to finally turn blue. And I would say it may happen sooner than people are expecting again. Don't want to get anybody worked up. Yeah, definitely. They don't They got get... a lot of voter suppression going on in oh Texas. My God, they got a lot of unverifiable voting across Texas. There are. They got a lot of uh, you know ways to keep people from voting.
0: And they will deploy all of them, and probably be creative and invent some new ones.
1: <laughs> no doubt. But I think this is now getting very, very real in Texas, and uh, Orange County might be in uh, 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 California might be a sign for what Texas can expect. The Dem- Democratic prospects there for U.S. House seats have gotten a considerable lift in the past two weeks as uh, Congressman Pete Olson, Will Hurd and Michael Conway, all Texas Republicans, have announced their retirements. That was before Kenny Marchant. Uh, Conway's district is um Heavily Republican, but Hurd and Olson represent districts that are full of non-white voters, and that Republicans were are going to have a hard time defending those districts, especially Hurd's. Um, but the loss of uh, Congressman Hurd proved to be an especially stinging blow because he's the only Black Republican in the entire U.S. House, and he only won about ninety votes. Won by about 90 votes. I think the number was 905 last November. So in a border district in Texas, by the way, how are things going at the border in Texas? They got a lot of Donald Trump fans down there right now. So he won by 905 votes last year. So, yes, Dems are licking their chops uh, about that and some of these other seats now opening up in Texas. The en masse retirement From uh, from these House Republicans is said to have caucus leadership biting its collective nails. According to The Times, Republican leadership believes the loss of the majority in the House of uh, in the House in 2018. That's to blame for the uptick in retirements. Or maybe it's just that the U.S. is an out migration country (laughs) or something. Have they tried that one yet? So there's some brighter news for you today. You're welcome. For even brighter news still, we'll take a break and come back with Desi Doyen and the latest Green News report, which is always nothing but joy and light.
0: Rainbows and kittens. And
1: laughter, yes. That's next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. So, today's program started out pretty grim, but it's gotten a little bit brighter, right, throughout the show. Desi Doyen? Yeah, yeah. And now, of course, with the Green News Report, as usual, I'm sure it's filled with nothing but good news. So let's get to it. Our latest, no pressure, GNR.
0: The soil underneath our feet is one of humanity's most precious assets. New UN report calls for overhauling farming techniques to solve climate change.
1: It should be criminal you can write over five million dollars worth of bad checks and nothing happened to you.
0: Kentucky miners block coal train after mine company bankruptcy. Plus, four fossil fuel explosions in 48 hours underscore the dangers of aging fossil fuel infrastructure.
1: All of those dangers underscored and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics analysis and snarky comment we cannot control the climate any more than they believed witches could control the climate and don't forget the witches were actually condemned by, by judges who were educated at harvard so this was the best and brightest who thought that witches influence the climate causes crop failure and that's where we are now with the green new deal jesus are they working hard at fox news are they still on the air they are this is your green news report Okay, Desi Doyen, I'm sure you've got nothing but good news for us today on The Green News Report.
0: Well, there's a little bit of good news. A sweeping new scientific report warns that we need to overhaul food production dramatically to protect the global food supply from the consequences of man-made climate change. That's the good news? No, the good news is that although agriculture is a major emitter of greenhouse gases, it also offers a major opportunity to solve climate change.
1: Okay, I'll bite.
0: The report, released on Thursday by the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, finds that intensive industrial agriculture over the last few decades has depleted arable land and water supplies, and they warn that without action to adopt sustainable land use, our ability to feed ourselves will be irreversibly degraded.
1: I'm still waiting for the good news.
0: The good news is there is still time to repair that damage and feed a growing population. According to the director of the U.N. Environment program Inger Anderson. The soil underneath our feet is one of humanity's most precious assets. And at a time when we can least afford it, we're losing fertile soil and biodiversity at an alarming rate. We need to adapt our land use to climate change so we can secure food production for present and future generations. Farming and land use changes like logging account for about a quarter of global greenhouse gas emissions, so changing how we manage land can have a huge impact. The report details a comprehensive suite of actions that governments can take, including shifting towards vegetarian diets, reducing food waste, restoring wetlands and forests, and implementing regenerative farming techniques that do double duty in sequestering carbon emissions and restoring soil health.
1: Sounds like you're working as hard to come up with good news here as Fox News is to demonize the Green New Deal.
0: I try. A different study finds that 17 countries representing about a quarter of the world's population are at high risk of running out of water. The World Resources Institute report finds that India, parts of Africa, nearly all of the volatile Middle East and four western U.S. states are under extremely high water stress and at risk of using up all of their water resources. Reserves, And it warns that man-made global warming will increase stress on fresh water supplies, driving food insecurity, financial instability, conflict, and migration.
1: Yeah, we're definitely not in the good news section anymore.
0: In other news, the state of Texas this week filed suit against oil giant ExxonMobil for violating state and federal clean air and water laws. Well,
1: that's good news.
0: Uh, It was in the wake of another fire and explosion at its massive refinery in the Houston suburb of Baytown on July 3rd. Oh. 37 workers were injured. Nearby residents were ordered to shelter in place. And it was the second fire and explosion at that refinery in just four months. It was one of four refinery and pipeline explosions in just two days at the beginning of this month. A woman in Kentucky was killed when a gas pipeline exploded. A Colorado worker died in an explosion at an oil drilling site. And in Pennsylvania, five people were injured and a home destroyed after a natural gas service line undergoing repairs exploded. All of these explosions underscoring the dangers of our country's aging fossil fuel infrastructure.
1: And underscoring that no one was killed this week at a solar plant or a wind farm.
0: Finally, a bit of good news. Finally! (laughs) For coal miners in Harlan County, Kentucky, they've been physically blocking a coal train for more than a week to demand unpaid wages from their employer, Black Jewel Mining, after it abruptly declared bankruptcy late last month, locked its gates, and allowed all of their paychecks to bounce. Wow. The company's actions are unprecedented, according to Harlan County Judge Executive Dan Mosley in an interview with the Louisville Courier-Journal.
1: These people work for this company for a month for nothing.
0: The good news is that a federal bankruptcy judge has given preliminary approval for another coal company to buy that mine and give partial payments to the miners. But they say they may continue the blockade until they get cash in hand.
1: Like I said, not a lot of good news, but thank you for it anyway. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, good news or otherwise, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Yes, so- mcconnell country as a matter of fact
0: indeed it is and mitch mcconnell has uh, done a good job of making sure that zero bills that would help coal countries survive the decline of the coal industry he's made sure none of them come up for a vote in the senate
1: at the same time he's making sure no election security bills come up for a vote in the senate no gun safety legislation comes up in the senate although he does say now that uh, uh background checks will be front and center uh, in the senate debate
0: I wouldn't lay odds on whether that would actually pass in the Senate. I, I don't believe he'll actually do it. Well, I'll be shocked if he does. Well,
1: we'll see if he if he does, but I will say this, once again, it is the lowest hanging fruit. What? We have to make sure that everyone gets a background check when they buy a weapon of mass destruction. That's what they're fighting over now, and it's kind of pathetic. So when they finally give in to that, they'll say, See, we we compromise. We'll we work together. Yeah. Anyway, um, very quickly, uh, you said that uh, we were joking about the good news or the lack thereof in your Green News report. But you say taken together, there are
0: there's some solutions here. And that's the thing that's really important to take away from all of these really scary, dire studies. The uh, water crisis study, the uh, IPCC land use study, and even the Kentucky coal miners, a Green New Deal would help with that provide the funding to address all of these issues and make sure they're done in a just and equitable way that helps fossil fuel country go through a just transition.
1: It would be nice if those folks in uh, coal country realized how they have been getting screwed by folks like Mitch McConnell. Yep and that the Green New Deal would actually help them. All right, got to get out. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Nice job as ever. She is our producer. Thanks to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Download it, share it with your friends and family, or torture them with it, depending on how you look <laughs> at it. That is, of course, free to you, thanks to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to support our work with a one-time donation or better still a recurring sustaining contribution of any amount you like at bradblog.com slash donate we rely on you not the coal companies who don't advertise here for some reason you can drop me email i am bradcast at bradblog.com and on the facebook's and the twitter's i am simply the brad blog all right Nicole Sandler will be in for us on the next thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.